podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Two Footed Podcast on Tuesday, September 29th. I'm Dave Hendrick and we are brought to you by EPLindex.com and a presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield are a VPN provider, so do check out their services at libertyshield.com and use the promo code EPLVPN to get 20% off your hardware and subscription. So, week three is in the books. Last night we saw Fulham capitulate once again. Uh, 3-0 home defeat to Aston Villa. And in truth, this game was dead and buried after 15 minutes. Fulham switched to a back three, which was interesting. And it didn't work at all. The first goal, John McGinn plays a lovely lofted through ball. But it's into absolutely acres of space, somehow considering Fulham are defending their 18-yard box. And Grealish latches onto it, and it's a very good finish. And it's a good goal by Villa, but the defending is atrocious, but not as bad as it is for the second goal. Jack Grealish dribbles towards the area, and I don't know whether the Fulham defenders were scared of him or you know whether he threatened them or what it was, but they were running away from him. They were actively running away from him. Nobody was pressuring the ball. He plays a simple ball across, and Conor Huron has a you know a ni- nice neat finish, and it's two 0 and that's it. That's game over. But the third goal is even worse. Huron clips in across from a free kick, and the defensive line is just absolutely all over the place. And Tyron Mings slides in, gets to the ball before Ariola. And knocks it into the net. And there was just no fight from Fulham. And it's really concerning that three games in, they've had two home games. And they've rolled over in both home games. They did put up a fight away to Leeds. But, you know, they need to be taking points from Aston Villa at home. Whatever about Arsenal, Arsenal are a top six contender. But they need to take points from Aston Villa at home. And to lose in that manner is just completely unacceptable. They've had some bad luck. Marlon, the centre-back, they were due to sign from Sassuolo, obviously failed a medical, and, and that's tough. But that's not an excuse. Tony Khan, who is the owner's son, or one of the owners, came out yesterday after the game and said... I apologise to Fulham FC supporters for our performance tonight. We've looked to add centre-backs since Wembley. I'm sorry we haven't yet as two got COVID and we lost a free we thought was close and had an issue with with a fourth CB. I promise players in and better efforts from this squad. I should add, will apologise repeatedly. Oh, sorry, I should and will apologise repeatedly for that performance. I'm sorry, everybody. We all need to do a better job 
everyone at the club for the past year worked really hard to get the team up, and now we need to work significantly harder to stay up. I promise better efforts than today. It's not a good look when the owner is coming out after three games to apologise for the team. I'd be maybe getting a little bit antsy if I was Scott Parker. But I'm sorry, it doesn't fly for me. You've had months now. It was clear as anything coming up that Fulham needed at least one, if not two, central defenders. I think two. And they needed someone else in attack. And we're less than a week before the transfer window closes, and they haven't added those things. They brought in midfielders, they brought in fullbacks, and they they signed good players. Don't get me wrong. Fulham have signed good players so far in this window, but they haven't addressed their biggest needs. And I don't want to use this podcast to pick out any single player and continually criticize them, but I'm sorry, Dennis Adoy is not a Premier League footballer. That was blatantly obvious the last time they were in the Premier League when he was a complete liability. Now, I'm sure he might be a a good organizer, he might be a presence in the dressing room, whatever, a great trainer. He's not Premier League quality. And last night, he was just atrocious, as he was against Leeds, as he was against Arsenal. The sooner Fulham have him out of the team, the better off they're going to be. Like, I like Robinson, I like Harrison Reed, I like Kenny Tete, I like Lamina, I like Ariola. I like Ola Ene, I like the players they brought in. Not overly keen on Knockhart, but, you know, he helped them get up and it was a deal they wanted to make, so I can totally understand that. But I'm just, I'm struggling with the logic of not having added somebody up front to help carry the goal load with Mitrovic and a couple of centre-backs. And yes, you know, two got COVID and you lost out in a free. That's great. Fantastic. There's a lot more centre-backs out there. A lot more. Joe Worrell from Forest would immeasurably improve this team. He's in the championship. He is available. Scott McKenna, who moved from Aberdeen to Forest, would have improved your team. Marash Kambula, who moved for less than 20 million, would have improved your team. You're in talks for... Jean-Claire Tadibo, fine. He's a good young player. But at the minute, he's probably more a holding midfielder than he is a centre-back. He'll need to learn the centre-back position. And you've already got a whole bunch of holding midfielders. Producer Guy tweeted last night, free Anguisa. I kind of agree. He He's just anchored down by... A lot of poor play behind him. I'm really concerned about Fulham. I predicted them to go down. And I did think they would go down as number 20 of 20. But right now it's very hard to see where a point even comes from. The form they've displayed, especially at home, just really isn't conducive to picking up many points. And if they do fire Scott Parker... You'd wonder who's next. Is it someone like Allardyce? That would seem like the logical thing, but, you know, for the long term, 
good of your club. If he doesn't keep you up, you go down, you don't have him. He's not going to go down with you. You wouldn't want him in the championship at this point. But they've got Wolves away next. Then Sheffield United away. Then Palace at home. Then Fulham at home. Sorry, then Fulham. Then they have West Brom at home. And then West Ham away. So like, there's winning, winnable games in that list. Sheffield United, like them, have not won yet. They have zero points from three games. That's a game they should be targeting to get a point from. Palace at home, a game to target to win. West Brom, you have to win that game at home. West Ham away, there's a point. Go and get that point. If you can take eight points from those four games, and I don't think Wolves have looked at all good this season, but you know you, you probably will write in a defeat in one of these games, and that's the hardest of them. So they need to start picking up points. Or Scott Parker's going to be out the door. Now, another part of the issue they have in not bringing in the players they want is that Tony Khan himself is the owner slash director of football slash general manager slash sporting director. He lives in Jacksonville, Florida. He's not on the ground in London doing these deals. I'm I'm sure with the technology available, he's you know in consistent contact with their scouting department and with Scott Parker. But he needs to be living in London, working at the club day to day, to be effective in that role. That's not a part time role. I also don't think he has in any way the qualifications to do that role. I know he's head of football analytics for the Jacksonville Jaguars, but that's a completely different sport. And yes, he might be able to read data very well and interpret it, but he still doesn't have the background in football. And it's nothing against him. I think he's a really good owner for them to have. I think him and his father are more than happy to bankroll the club. And I I think that's all very admirable. But on top of being one of the owners and head of football analytics for the Jacksonville Jaguars, as well as all the roles he fills for Fulham. He owns a media outlet, and he's the president and CEO of arguably the second biggest professional wrestling company in the world. Like, there's only so many hours in the day. I think something Fulham need to address is they need to get more of a football structure in place on the ground in London. Tony Khan needs to take a bit of a step back, I feel. As for Villa, it's a really good start to the season for them. Um, it's just popped up on Twitter, according to Guy Drinkle, that Fulham are in for Ryan Bennett. He's not going to solve many of the problems, but he will be a slight up, upgrade on Dennis Adoy. I saw Scott Dan's name mentioned as well, whether that was somebody just throwing the name around or not, I don't know. But Scott Dan would, would be a big help. Um, for a club with the money they have, who were on the verge of signing Marlon for about 15 million, though they should be aiming a lot higher than either of those two. Um, yeah, on to Villa. Really impressive performance, really impressive start to the season. Six points from six. They're currently fourth in the league. Uh, big, big test to come next weekend against Liverpool. But 
they look good against Fulham. Uh, I thought the front three functioned well. The midfield three worked very hard and provided the service. And I really like how that Konza Tyron Mings partnership is, is shaping up at the back, especially with with Maddie Cash looking uh, very much at home in the Premier League and um, and Matt Target at left back. I think that's very very strong. Emmy Martinez got away with a bit of a howler when he spilled a fairly straightforward shot, but he has improved him as well. It's it's a solid unit. I still think one more in midfield, and you've got Bertrand Traore to come in in the attack. But get that one in midfield who'll get you a few more goals. I said it before, Ross Barkley's available. Um, and I think that Villa team is going to be very comfortable this year. Very, very comfortable. Ollie Watkins, you know, you want to see him get a goal soon enough just to get it off his back. But the all-round performances are very good. His hold-up play, the runs he's making, his his selflessness the work rate, I just think he's proving to be a very, very good signing for them. He creates more of a focal point, and he draws a lot more attention from defenders, which creates more space for the likes of Grealish, um, the likes of Trezeguet, and, and when he's back in the or when he comes into the team, the likes of Bertrand Traore. Villa are in a good position. They really are. And the thing is, like, Villa are the model of what Fulham should be looking at you know they've got a really good structure in place like Fulham they have ambitious owners with deep pockets um, but they focus their money this summer at least a, a little bit better as opposed to Fulham who've just bought loads of midfielders um, it's going to be a tough a tough season for Fulham but Villa I think fans have, have Villa fans have, have reason to be reason to be confident after that game, then, we had uh, Champions Liverpool at home to Arsenal, who were unbeaten coming into this game. And, I mean, there's two ways to look at it. Liverpool were entirely dominant for the entirety of the game. They just were better substantially in every single aspect of the game, on the ball and off the ball. Their pressing was exceptional. Their build-up play was exceptional. They cut Arsenal open a couple of times. Defensively, they were largely very good. Arsenal had one real chance that they created themselves in the entire 90 minutes. That was the one-on-one where Lacazette broke through and Alisson made a good save. The Arsenal goal comes from a, a bad mistake by Andy Robertson. If if that mistake doesn't happen, if Robertson just c- clears that ball, that is the absolutely perfect performance from Liverpool. That 3-0 is absolutely perfect. Every player in Liverpool Red was at the top of their game. I thought they were all excellent last night. But I do think you need to give Arsenal some credit. I think in years gone by, we would have seen them fold and roll over and get beaten five or six. And you could argue that Liverpool could have beaten them five or six last night. Arsenal had only 34% possession. They had four shots in the game, three on target. Uh, one is the goal, one is the lack of that one. I'm not sure what the other one was, but it wasn't a big chance for sure. Um, whereas Liverpool, 66% possession, 21 shots on, on goal, eight on target. 
really and truly, Ginny Wijnaldum should score in the first half. Mane should score in the first half. And Jota should have scored before he got his goal. And if Mo Salah doesn't steal one off him, he has another big chance. So Liverpool, yeah, could potentially have, have scored um, five or six. But when you look at how Arsenal played, they set up with a very specific game plan. They were playing a loose back three, which was flexing to a back four out of possession. And Maitland-Niles was playing a sort of a left-wing back slash left-sided midfield hybrid, tucking in alongside Jacka and Elneny when needed, flaring back out to help Kieran Tierney with Mo Salah. They were looking to play out from the back. They were looking to build slowly, build through midfield. And they were looking to release Aubameyang and Lacazette with through balls. And as I said, in years gone by, when they were being as outplayed as they were last night, all of that would have gone out the window and they would have started to just launch the ball long to get rid of it. Not once did that happen last night. They continued to play the way Arteta set them up to play. And a part of that is Arteta wanting his team to no matter what, learn how to play this way. And that's not anywhere close to what the finished product for Arsenal will be in terms of the personnel. You look at the back three, Rob Holding will be replaced by William Saliba, David Luiz will be replaced by Gabriel. That immediately makes that a better back three. And that back three, with those two and Kieran Tierney, are all young and can all grow and develop together over the next couple of years and should become a very, very formidable force. It will also allow them the opportunity to flex it to a back four where Tierney slides to left back, Gabriel and Saliba play as just two natural centre-backs and you move your right wing back back to right back. Now, at the minute, Hector Bellerin is the wing back and he's not a good fullback. He's not good defensively. Positionally, he struggles. He doesn't sweep his centre-backs very well. I think that's a position they'll look to upgrade. But in the back three, he's fine, and they have Maitland-Niles who can play there as well. On the left, I think I think Baki Osaka is the option there. And in the 4-3-3, when that back three flexes to the four, and the midfield flexes from a four to a three, he can slide in from wing-back to the left-sided midfield role in the three. That is very good. So I think they're getting close in that regard. Now, centre midfield is a major issue. Granit Xhaka, he's had these little you know, spells before where he's showed good form. But for me, he's not the type of player you want in your team if you've got real ambition. Now, they've been linked to Thomas Partey. They've been linked to Hossam Auer. I, I would love to see our in the Premier League, and I think he is the more important signing of the two for them long-term. But short-term, Tomas is probably the better one. However, Tomas doesn't really fit the timeline that we're looking at here with these younger players, the likes of Saliba, Gabriel, Tierney, Maitland-Niles, Saka. He's, and he's, he's younger than the likes of Aubameyang, so... I think they might be better off looking at someone like Abubakari Samara from uh, Lille. 
and putting him and our together. That's a young pairing that can grow together, develop, and are less likely to always demand to start in the next couple of years, which means that the likes of Granite Xhaka and El Nenny can play a role. And you can build that team up slowly. The front three is is in really good shape. They've got Aubameyang, Lacazette, Willian. They've got Pepe, who needs to work on his corners. Um, they've got Nelson. They've got Enketia. They've got Martinelli. They're in great shape up front. They don't need to do anything else with that front line. Just develop the players you have. Find the best trio that works. And you'll be fine. I think they're three players away from being a really good team. I'd want, and, and it may be not even three. If, if It's only a three if you really do want to go to that back four. But they definitely need to sort out central midfield. I know they've got Danny Ceballos in this year, and I think Danny Ceballos was brought back in on loan as a safety blanket in case they don't get our this summer. Because you're not playing both of them together. Certainly not in a two, and I, I don't think it works in a three. But they're not far away. But what people need is they need to be patient. They need to give Arteta time, and he'll need backing and support continually from the club. Arsenal fans, like most other clubs, maybe a little bit worse than some, they have a tendency to feel like they're owed something. There's an air of privilege, I suppose, about certain portions of the Arsenal fan base where they think that because they're Arsenal Football Club, they should just be top four, challenging for the title, winning cups, etc., etc. And unfortunately, that's not where you are at the minute, Arsenal. That is just not the reality of your situation. Last season, you finished eighth. You've been in decline for quite a while now. Arsene Wenger managed to paper over the cracks for years. And loads of you demanded that he go. And when he left, it all went downhill very, very quickly. Now, in Mikel Arteta, you have a manager with a very clear vision on what he wants, how he wants to play, the type of players he wants... But he's honest and open in his own assessments of where this team is. And he spoke last night after the game and he said, if you look at this Liverpool team, they're brilliant at what they do, but they weren't able to years ago. Which to me says he's looking at his team and thinking, well, four and five years, we can be there. And if that's his kind of timeline, then that needs to be the fans' timeline. The fans can't expect that Arsenal in two years are going to be on the level of this Liverpool team, which has been built slowly and deliberately over a longer period of time. That's what Arteta wants to do. He wants to build his team slowly and deliberately. He doesn't want to have missteps. He doesn't want to go and spend large amounts of money on players that aren't going to fit into how he wants to play, that don't add value to the team. And I've seen Arsenal fans say, oh, it needs to be top four this season. It's top four or bust. That is the worst type of attitude to take. If you get sixth this year, that's an improvement on last year. You're coming from quite far off. It's going to take time. I would much rather have Mikel Arteta in charge of my club than Frank Lampard. Because at least when I watch, 
Arteta's team play, I know what they want to do. I haven't a breeze what Frank Lampard wants his team to do. Not a clue. And the different things that get talked about as his quote-unquote philosophy don't match up with the signings he's making. Whereas the signings that Arteta is looking for fit with how we know he wants to play. There's still a lot of work for Arsenal to do. They're very good against top clubs at holding a defensive shape. They've clearly been very well drilled. It's something they're working on a lot. Last night it was, for large portions of the game, a back seven. um, Where either it would be the 3-4 or it would be a 4-3 with Bellerin tucked at right right back, Tierney switched out to left back and Maitland-Niles sliding in to central midfield alongside Jacka and Elneny. But they couldn't escape Liverpool last night. Liverpool's press was just relentless. Liverpool's 4-3-3 goes to a 3-3-4 when they want to press. One of the defenders steps into midfield, normally Trent Alexander-Arnold, and what that what that does is it allows either Ginny Wijnaldum or Naby Keita to join the front three, so you get a, a pressing line of four. And as Arsenal try and play out, they're just triggering in on who's the weak link. Who do we want to have the ball? So it could be they want David Luiz to have the ball on his left-hand side. They want Rob Holding on his left-hand side. Um, Liverpool are very, very good at what they do. They're, They're the best in the country for a reason. But with Arsenal, it there needs to be more to that. We need to see a bit more. And we need to see more of an ability to hold leads. That the one criticism I have of Arsenal is that they still give up leads too easily. So since Arteta took over, Arsenal have dropped eight points from sorry, eighteen points from winning positions. That's the most in the league. So that's three points this season and fifteen last season. And Arteta was only there what, half the year, a little over half the year last year. So that's something they need to address. And look, that's it's natural. These are things that you have to overcome when you're in the early stages of a rebuild. Liverpool were exactly like that for a long, long time. But that 15 points last season could have made a massive difference to Arsenal. Arsenal finished the season on 56 points. Had they not dropped any of those points, that would have been 71, which would have got them third. That's not realistic, obviously. But if they'd even taken 10 points from that, they would have finished fifth, and they would have felt so much better about themselves. And they'd probably be a bit more attractive to players at the minute than they are coming off an eighth-place season. If they got 13 points, they could have finished third. You know, it, it... it's fine margins, it really is. But they're the points that Arsenal already have that they can start to draw from. There's not many teams in the league that are going to outplay them. And nobody else other than maybe Manchester City will outplay them to the level that Liverpool outplayed them last night. So, I think I think we can look at last night as a bit of a lesson for Arsenal in, you know what a top club really looks like at the minute. But there's an awful lot that Arsenal can be positive about, that they can be, 
you know, hopeful about. I, I think they're going in the right direction. I really do. I like Arteta. I think he's very open. I think he's very honest. I thought he was quite humble after the game. I thought he was, you know, effusive in his praise of Liverpool. And it's good to see because, you know, you get other managers who say, well, if they didn't score their goals, we would have won, which is just the weirdest approach to take um, towards a game of football. I, I don't understand why other managers can't all just get on board and be honest about the opponents. If you get outplayed, just admit that you were outplayed. In two, in back-to-back weeks, Liverpool have completely outplayed Chelsea and Arsenal, both teams that will have top six, top four ambitions. Completely outplayed them both. Limited them to minimal chances. Yet the difference in Frank Lampard's post-match interview and Mikel Arteta's post-match interview are night and day. Lampard has a lot to learn as a manager. Um, whether he gets there or not remains to be seen. We'll finish up with some transfer news. Uh, Manchester United are refusing to give up their pursuit of Borussia Dortmund's England forward, Jadon Sancho. Dortmund have been very clear that this deal is not taking place. Uh, United did leak out to their minions in the media that they're planning another bid. But Kevin Palmer reports that the bid is not what Dortmund are asking. So, for me, it just looks like it's lip service. They're trying to, you know, give the fans something less to cry about. I don't think they've been really serious in their pursuit of Sancho at all this summer. I don't think they've carried themselves as a team seriously trying to sign that player. They may yet get him, but I have I have major doubts. Um, if the Sancho deal falls through, it looks like Ishmael Assar will be the, the target. Personally, I think they need Ishmael Assar and a backup striker more than they need Jadon Sancho. Because I think the front three that they have are exceptional. I think depth is their issue. Um, Now, you can argue that they need creativity as well, but that needs to come from Paul Pogba. That's what he's in the team to do. And if he's not doing it, get him out of the team. His performance against Brighton was a joke. And... If he's not going to provide the creativity you need, then you're in trouble. It does look like Alex Tellez will arrive to fill the left-back berth. And he will bring some creativity. He's a very good player. Unfortunately, though, you're not getting anything going forward from Juan Bissaka. And there's a part of me that wonders, and I've said since we started doing this podcast, I've said the two biggest needs for them are holding midfield and centre-back. And I wonder if they wouldn't be best off trying him in one of those positions. Maybe not holding midfield for now, though as a ball winner who can just win the ball back and give it to Pogba, give it to Bruno, he could be very good. But I'd be curious to see how he'd be at centre-back. I'd be interested to see how him and Harry Maguire would work as a pair. And then you could go and buy an attacking right-back who will actually give you something going forward and you can get your, some of your creativity from your full-back spots. But Wambasaka isn't good enough going forward for United. And it's something they're going to have to address in the next couple of years. Articles like idiots claiming that Sancho will help Wambasaka get better going forward is nonsense. This has been a United theme for a couple of years. How many times did we hear that this player has been targeted to help unlock Paul Pogba? 
maybe rather than buying players who, to get the best of, you have to buy other players, you should buy players who improve the guys you already have. Juan Bissaka, for 50 million, you would expect the finished product. Paul Pogba for 89 million, you would expect an all encompassing do everything central midfielder. But all we get is excuses. The same with Maguire. Harry Maguire is the world's most expensive central defender. Rio Ferdinand is on television recently talking about how United need to buy a world class central defender. What they buy Harry Maguire for then, Rio? A baffling club. A truly baffling club. Uh, Bayern Munich are considering a bid for Norwich City's 20-year-old English right-back, Max Ahrens. I'd actually love to see that happen. I'd love to see him go there. I'd love to see them play with him and Alfonso Davies on, on the on the flanks. I just think it'd be so much fun to watch. Uh, I really like Max Ahrens. I'm amazed he's still at Norwich. I think he'll get his move before the window closes because uh, he's a very, very talented player. He'd be the one. If United were to move Juan Bissaka to centre-back, He's the one you target. Uh, Tottenham are considering another move for Inter and Slovakia defender Milan Skriniar, but unwilling to meet the 25-year-old's asking price. Then they're not considering another move because the price is the price. That's just it. So that is just, it's the Guardian, so it's the spoofer. So it's just him pretending that something exists doesn't. Everton and Leicester are both interested in Chelsea's French defender Kurt Zuma. I would be stunned if Kurt Zuma was allowed to leave. I, I'm not a particularly big fan of him, but uh, he was Chelsea's best defender last year. And if they're going to insist on playing Thiago Silva, I think it has to be next to Zuma because he's the new one with the pace to cover for Silva. Tottenham could bring in Germany defender Antonio Rudiger, who's fallen out at Chelsea. They do need bodies, but he's not the one. He's not the answer to their problems. Um, Everton boss Carlo Ancelotti does not expect English winger Theo Walcott to leave the club this transfer window. Neither do I, because I can't imagine anyone would want him at this point. And it's not like it's not a knock on his talent, but he's 31, he's injury prone, he's on really high wages. Who's going to touch him at that? And you'll have to pay a fee for him as well. Everton aren't going to give him away. So, no. Um, AC Milan are interested in a loan deal for Manchester United and Portugal right back Diogo Delot. I'm really confused as to why he's never been given a real opportunity at United. He's only 21. He's so young. He's in his formative years and they're just binning him off. Um, Lazio were in talks to sign Manchester United Brazilian midfielder Andreas Pereira on a Season-long loan with an option to buy. Now, apparently this option to buy is $27 million, which tells me that they have no real intention of taking up that option unless he has the best season of his life. They have... Look, they, they took uh, Luis Alberto from Liverpool and they turned him into one of the very best playmakers in Europe. So, maybe. But I don't see that he starts for them because they've also got Milinkovic Savic. They've got Joaquin Carrera. They, they have a lot of creative midfielders. To me, he's going there to be a squad player. Um, 
and I just don't see that he's going to to break into the team unless they're planning to sell Luis Alberto. A Tottenham and Argentina defender Juan Voigt is a target for Valencia. I like him. I I think I think he needs to go somewhere where he's going to have a a decent team around him and he's not going to, and he's going to be allowed to learn and develop. There's a lot of talent there. Um, other Tottenham news. Uh, Deli Ali has been left out of the squad for the League Cup. And this is becoming a bit of a thing because he's been left out of the last four squads, I think, or the last three. This this is four, I think. Um, it's clear that there's an issue between him and Mourinho. And that was clear watching All or Nothing. Mourinho, having never really worked with Deli, was able to tell him that he'd heard Deli was lazy. And that's not good at all. And Delhi laughed about it. and That's just a really bad reaction. I I think that's one to keep an eye on. I, I don't think Delhi starts the... Or finishes the window as a Spurs player. I don't know that he'll be sold, but I think it'll be a loan. Um, Barcelona putting the final st- uh, touches to a deal for Serginho Dest. Yeah. I mean, he's decent. He's not be-all and end-all. He's been blown up a little bit. Um, I think he's a little bit overrated. But they need a right-back, having just sold um, Semedo to Wolves. So it makes sense for them, but they're apparently broke apart from that. Uh, Leon are prepared to sell 22-year-old French midfielder Hossam Auer, who's been linked with a move to Arsenal. This is not news. This is regurgitation. It's also speculation because when the president was asked about it, he didn't actually say that they were willing to sell him. Um, he gave roundabout answers, which is what he does because it's what he always does. And that's it. That is us covered today. Uh, tomorrow, we will have Lee Scott and we will go over some of the tactical trends from the weekend. Uh, I think there might be some focus on Manchester City's defence. Just, just letting you know that now. Uh, I'd like to get his views on Arsenal and where he sees them and um, what he thinks of them at the moment. And um, we might even talk about a few players. One of the other things Lee does is he works as a scout. So we might talk about a few players that are coming into the Premier League and get Lee's views on them. That's me for today. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you to Guy Drinkle. Thank you to Foxhorn for our title music. I'll see you tomorrow. Podcast Network.